Oh, he's alive. 
can be seated. Man, I'm all ready to preach. I'm all ready to preach, man, I tell you. Man, if you're looking for hope this morning, man, that's the hope. Death's been defeated. Jesus Christ is alive, amen? He's alive. And that's good news for some of you who came in and, and you're wrestling with sin or and maybe you feel that there's an addiction going on in your life. Man, there is hope in the name of Jesus Christ. We have been set apart uh, to live unto God. Man, we're a peculiar people and we are to live uh, for the name of Jesus. I want to welcome you this morning to Northside Baptist Church. We're so glad that you are here. If this is your first time with us ever or first time in a long time, man, we're delighted to have you inside your bulletin is a little place for you to fill some information out tear that off we're not passing the offering plates uh, in these covid days right now so there's a box out there um, in the foyer if you could just please drop that uh, out there we would greatly appreciate it we just want you to know that that we love you that we're thankful that you're here uh, you are our guest um, and we want we not only want to serve you and love on you but we also want to pray for you so if there's a way that we can do that uh, please uh, let us know also on the back of that uh, that prayer list uh, let me just read a couple verses of scripture. They're not going to appear on the screen. I'm just going to read these and then I'm going to pray uh, for us and then we're going to continue to sing about God's grace. This is in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we declare this morning that you, our God, our creator, sovereign ruler over all of the universe, that you are alive. That you are alive. And God, that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and through our putting our faith and our trust in you, Jesus, and who you are and in your work, Father, we are born again and we are set apart. And this morning, we are a peculiar people. We're a peculiar people. Father, we are to look different than unbelievers. We are to look different than the lost. We are to look different than the world around us. How will an unbelieving world know that we belong to Jesus? How will they know that we are peculiar? Fathers, we dive into your word this morning as we seek to, to answer that question, as we, Lord, seek to think about our sin and how as believers in Christ we have a new relationship towards sin, we have a new understanding towards sin, that we are to repent, that we are to confess, that that is not something, God, we do one time so that we might be saved, but that our life is to model a life of ongoing confession and repentance. Father, you are our hope. In a world that is filled with so much hopelessness and so much brokenness and so much pain, even, Father, in this very room this morning are people who are struggling with hurt and with pain and with brokenness and maybe with addictions and with sins. Or they're grieved for someone who is enslaved to these things. Father, there is hope. And it is in the name of Jesus. And so, O oh, Spirit of God, 
we ask you to move in this place and to set us free from those indwelling sins, those sinful habits, Lord, that we have allowed to take root into our life. Oh, Spirit of God, remove them, cleanse us, purify your people for your glory and your honor. Oh, God, as we sing about your grace in just a moment, as we want a few minutes sing those famous words, amazing grace, may these not just be words that we utter, but may they be the deepest desires of our hearts that we can say we once were lost, but now are found. We once were dead, but God, now we're alive because of your amazing grace. Father, be glorified as we continue to worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand again as we sing.
Braves have proof of that. While you're turning there, man, thank you, choir. Thank you, Curtis. Man, you were up here conducting like you were 40 years old. <laughs> man, as we started singing Amazing Grace, I was just overcome with emotions. These last six months, it hasn't been easy on any of us. But being out here yesterday with Upward and seeing the choir singing, it just sort of feels normal. Um, and he, many of you have masks on, and the choir is even trying to social distance. So we know it's not normal. It's still not the way it was. Uh, but, man, it's still good that we can praise God together and that there is hope. We're in 1 John chapter 3. We're going to begin here in verse 4 and go through verse 10. It's what the word of the Lord says. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil." 
No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. You may be seated. Let me ask you a question as we begin this morning. What evidence can you point to to say, Jesus Christ has saved me? What evidence can you point to in your life to say, Jesus Christ has saved me? Just a, a quick overview again, if you haven't been with us on 1 John, you haven't been able to, to watch. You know, what John's doing here is he, in refuting some false teachers and their false, false professions of faith, he's saying, listen, there are three tests, if you will, that you should be able to point to, to say, look, I belong to Jesus. I've been saved. And, and what he's done is he's already gone through these, moral te- these three tests once. A moral test, right? Do you love God? Are you repenting of sin? Are you striving to live for him? The social test, do you love your brothers and sisters? Do you love your neighbor? And then the doctrinal test, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? In the first two chapters, he's already gone through them once. He's now going to go through them again. Because this is how important it is for him, for God who is speaking through John, to communicate to us the children of God should look differently now that we belong to Jesus than we did before we gave our life to Jesus. So what evidence can you point to to say Jesus has saved me? One of those evidences should be that you're living your life differently now. Your relationship to sin and sin in your life, it looks differently than it did prior to your coming to faith in Christ. So there's four main points I want you to see. Uh, let Let me say this to you. Verses 4 through 7, and then verses 8 through 10, they they parallel each other. So you're going to see that. I'm going to put those up on on the screen next to each other, and hopefully uh, you can see them because the font may be a little bit small, but uh, you'll see they parallel each other. Here's the first main point I want you to notice, and that is this. I want you to see the nature and the origin of sin. The nature and the origin of sin. So we begin in verse 4. This should appear on the screen here. And hopefully you can read it. There we go. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Sin, John says, is lawlessness. It is an intentional breaking of God's moral standards. So God has given us his law, his his commands. Sin is breaking those. It is lawlessness. But hear me, sin is not just an outward breaking of a commandment. Sin is ultimately an internal thing. It is willful rebellion to sin is to revolt against god our creator to word it another way sin is the desire to have my own way anybody in here struggle with that be honest right you just you like your own way sin is the desire to have our own way and to reject god's way isaiah 53 6 all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned Everyone, every single one of us, Isaiah says, has turned to his own way. When a Sunday school teacher asked a little boy to define sin, here was his definition. I think it is anything you like to do. (laughs) Now that is not completely accurate, 
Because there's a lot of things we like to do that are not sinful. But there is some truth to what he's saying. There are a lot of things that we like to do that do not honor nor glorify our Creator. And therefore, in choosing our own way, we are sinning, and sinning is lawlessness. Our nature is one of sin. We sin. We reject God's way. We openly rebel against God and choose our own because we are sinners. Your children are sinners. When they're born and you hold them, there are many things you have to teach them to do. You do not have to teach them to sin. They will pick that up on their own. They'll model your behavior sometimes, right? But it's just their nature to sin. It's who we are. So sin is lawlessness. It is rebelling against God. And we, by nature, are sinners. But now look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. Whoever makes a, look at this, practice of sinning. So he uses that phrase again, a practice of sinning, right, is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So we see the nature of sin. Whoever practices sin, that's lawlessness. It's a rebellion against God. But we also see the origin of sin. The devil, also known as Satan, right, is, a, is an angel. He's not equal to God. He's a created being. He is an angel. He's become sinful, rebellious, and proud. He is cast out of heaven along with a third of the heavenly hosts. We now refer to them as demons. And Satan, the devil, and his demons are in the process of recruiting people to believe their lies and to be involved in their mission, which is to overthrow the purpose and the plans of God. Notice what John says. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of what? It's of the devil. Whoever makes a practice, that is, your life is a life of sin, you're of the devil. Look what he says, for the devil has been sinning from the what? From the beginning. Who introduced sin into the world? Adam and Eve were the first humans to sin, but they were tempted by who? The devil, in the form of a serpent who had already rebelled against God, who now comes by slithering his way into Adam and Eve's life, and he says, did God really say? He gets them to doubt God, to rebel against God. Hear me, church. God's enemy is the devil. And our enemy is the devil who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. So as we think about sin this morning, As we think about why you and I now who belong to Jesus should not live in sin, notice the reason we shouldn't is because sin is a rebellion against God our Creator who is now God our Father. And sin is also diabolical. It is evil. And it is of the devil. And sin should have no place in our lives. Second thing I want you to notice, and that is the work of Christ. It starts out not too good. We're all sinners. It's lawlessness. We're in rebellion to God. And we're of the devil who who leads us into sin and we willingly follow. But then it gets good here as we continue. Verse 5. You know that he appeared. You know that he appeared. Let's stop there. That word appeared. Uh, It also appeared in our text last week. If you want to look at that, you can see in verse um, 28, and now little children, chapter 2, and now little children abide in him, so that when he what? Appears. 
appears. Chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he what? Appears. Say that word with me. That when he what? Appears. Last week in the text, John is speaking of the second coming of Christ. That when he appears, we'll be like him. Right, when he appears, speaking of his second return, now we come to verse 5, and it says, you know that he appeared. And he also uses that word in verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared. In these verses, he's not talking about the second coming. He's now looking back to his first coming. Why did Jesus come? We know he's coming again. Why did he come the first time? Well, what does verse 5 say? You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. John transitions from verse 4 to talking about those who sin, sin is lawlessness, to now he begins to talk about the one who came to take away those sins. The Greek word take away is the Greek word arrow. It means to lift up, to bear. It means to remove. John is saying Jesus came to remove your sins of rebellion, your sins of lawlessness. John chapter 1 verse 29 says this, The next day he, this is John, the same author of the letter here, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who what? Takes away the sins of the world. Same Greek word, takes away, arrow. Jesus Christ has come to take away the sins of the world. Isaiah 53, 6, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We've already seen that we all, right, choose our own way. We all go our own way, but Isaiah is saying the Messiah will come and upon him will be laid the iniquity of us all. Paul writes that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. So church, why can't we live in sin why can't it be the pattern of our life to just do what we want and live in sin and the answer is because not only is it rebellion against God but it is opposed to the work of Christ which came to take away the very sins we continue to live in and commit and look what else he says there in verse 5 you know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin the Greek reads kai Hamartia in atu uk estin. You're like, what in the world does that mean? It means this. And sin, literally it means, and sin in him is not. Now we wouldn't say it that way. We would translate it the way it is on the screen. And in him there is no sin. But in the Greek, it's actually, in, and sin in him is not. This is emphatic. John is emphatically stating, in Jesus there is no sin. So why can't we continue to live in sin? Because sin is rebellion and it is opposed not only to the work of Christ who came to take away the sins, but also it is opposed to the person of Christ. Chapter 2, verse 29, Jesus is the righteous one. Chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus is the pure one. Chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus is the sinless one. Think about Jesus for a moment. Bruce writes, the taking away of sins can be accomplished only by one who is himself sinless. Think back to the Old Testament, Exodus 12, 15. The animal sacrifices of the Old Testament had to be without what? Blemish, without defect. They had to be perfect. Jesus Christ is the perfect one, the sinless one. Jesus Christ did what you and I are unable to do. We choose our own way. Jesus, the entire time he lived on earth, chose the Father's 
way. Never once sinning at all. So many people today are guilty of doing a couple things. One, they are guilty of elevating themselves. And then they are guilty of diminishing God's holiness. When we do those two things, we feel better about ourselves. When we elevate ourselves, well, I'm not as bad as, as my wife or as bad as my Sunday school teacher, right? I've seen them. I've seen what they post. I don't do that, right? We elevate ourselves and think better of ourselves, and then we diminish God's holiness. Oh, God just wants me, we talked about it in Sunday school for a few minutes this morning, wants me to be happy. And so we diminish God's holiness. Well, God just wants me to do what I want to do, right? We find ourselves in a world of trouble. Church, don't do that. Apart from Jesus Christ, you are wretched. You are wretched. Jonathan Edwards once wrote, When I look into my own heart and take a view of my wickedness, it looks like an abyss infinitely deeper than hell. We have raised a generation of kids who always get a participation trophy. Right? We listened to a great podcast earlier this week. We have raised a generation of kids that we have just praised them excessively when it is undeserved. Like, so Malachi, my son, played soccer yesterday. Let me tell you what undeserved praise would be. Undeserved praise would be when Malachi, the game is over, I said, Malachi, you were the best player on that soccer field. I love Malachi. He was not the best player on that soccer field. <laughs> He was the kid when the ball would come, would go, oh, no, right? So for me, when we get in the car to say, Malachi, you are the best player on the field, is me lying to him. It is me puffing him up. What happens to a generation when all we do is excessively puff them up? They get to a point where they don't need God. Why do they need God? Man, they're the best. They're the greatest. Now, I do believe that we should encourage our kids. And so, right, I, I need to find ways to accurately encourage Malachi and his effort or the fact that he stayed out there, he kept playing, he didn't cry running home, right? You, you find ways to praise them. But when we overly praise people when it's not truth, right, we fail them. You know what you are? You are a wretched sinner, every one of you. Pastor, how can you say that? Because I'm one. Your children are wretched sinners, but they are also loved by the creator of the universe who came to die for them in Jesus Christ. And so we got to accurately teach them the truth. See, if you minimize your sin, then you don't need a savior. You cannot come to faith in Christ until you confess your sinfulness. It's why Jesus says, repent and believe. Repent comes before believe. Until you can repent and confess your sinfulness and your need for a Savior, you'll never put your faith in a Savior. So Jesus Christ came to take away sins. But there's another reason he came. Look at verse 8. Right, the reason the Son of God appeared, there it is again, he appeared. Why? Was to destroy the works of the devil. Devil means slanderer or accuser. That Greek word destroy, luo, means to loose or release. We were bound by chains. We were bound by the devil. Bound in our sin. And John is saying one reason Jesus Christ came was to bring us liberation. 
was to bring us deliverance, was to free us from the devil, to destroy the works of the devil. Hear me. The characteristic of the devil is to sin. He's been doing it from the beginning. And because the characteristic of the devil is to sin, he cannot save you. Here's what he can do. He will continually attack you and tempt you to sin against God. In many ways, he will he'll assault your soul, he will assault your body, he will assault your mind. He will continue nonstop to bring arrows of assault, fiery arrows, right? He's, he's a, lion, a lion seeking those whom he may devour. And the moment, the moment you give your life to Jesus, the moment as a believer you say, listen, I don't want to be lukewarm anymore. I want to be all in with Jesus and I want to follow him. Believe me, Satan is going to try to attack you. He's fine with lukewarm Christians. You're not a threat to him. But the moment you say, I want to follow Jesus, I want to be changed, you better believe he's coming for you. He will bring the demons to attack you. But there's good news. Because the characteristic of the devil is to sin, he can't save. The characteristic of my Jesus is to save, and he never sinned. He came to save us, to release us. Marshall writes, the task of Jesus was to undo whatever the devil has achieved. To thwart whatever he tries to do. John Stott writes, the devil's overthrow has been a dethronement rather than a decisive destruction. I think that's helpful. Right now, please understand, Satan has been dethroned. He ultimately doesn't have any power over you. And ultimately, Satan's already a defeated foe. And a day is coming in which he will ultimately and finally be defeated. Revelation 20.10 And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Anybody else looking forward to that day? Man, I am. And which Satan can no longer accuse me or tempt me or seek to destroy me. Church, through the life of Christ and the work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, we have victory over the power of the devil and over the power of sin. And we have forgiveness of sin. And we have the removal of God's wrath on our life. Church, you are both forgiven and victorious. Those of you praying... For a grandson or a granddaughter who's walked away from the Lord. Don't give up. Don't stop praying for them. Because there is victory in Jesus. Keep going to war on their behalf. This morning, if you are enslaved, if you are addicted to a sin, don't give up. Don't give in. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to give you victory. Confess it. Repent of it. Run to Jesus. Seek help and seek victory over those things. So we see the the nature of sin, the origin of sin. We see the work of Christ. Notice third, the child of God has a new relationship to sin. Verse 6, you'll see that on the screen. In a second, we'll see it there. Oh, you have a new relationship to sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Alex, go ahead and throw up the next verse for me, if you will. It says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So here's the question when it relates to these verses, and there's there's a lot of disagreement here. Are these verses referring to individual sins, or are they referring to a way of life? In other words, 
Is it possible for us as Christians to get to a point in this life where we will no longer sin? When it says that you'll no longer, that you won't keep on sinning, that it means you'll reach a state of perfection. Is that what it's speaking to? And again, there's a lot of disagreement. Some people believe that the Bible teaches that you and I can reach a state of perfection. That if you abide in Christ enough, you will reach a state of perfection here on earth. I love a story of C.A. Spurgeon. He was standing on a railway platform, and a, a man noticed him and noticed it was Spurgeon, so he walked up to him, and he began to have a conversation with Spurgeon, and he began to tell Spurgeon that he had reached the state of perfection, that he had reached the state in which he was no longer sinful. And the story goes that C.A. Spurgeon, right there on that platform, stepped on that man's toe as hard as he could, and that man began to curse. And Spurgeon said, see, I, I knew you weren't perfect. Um... Right? The reality is, we are not perfect. And I don't think these verses are teaching that you and I can achieve a state of perfection. Here's what I believe John is saying. What John, in essence, is saying is this. We will sin on occasion, but we should not sin habitually. Let me give you a quote from D. Smith. He writes, the believer may fall into sin, but he will not walk in it. A pig... Loves to roll around in mud. It's his nature. There may have been a time before Christ that you loved to roll around in sin. You think back to some of the things that you did, some of the choices you made. There was no guilt. There was no remorse. But you were just living it up. Maybe high school, college, maybe in your 30s, 40s. Maybe you were sowing your wild oats, whatever it may be. And you just, for a season of your life, said, I'm just going to live for me and I'm going to do what I want. And you were rolling around in the mud and you liked it. When you give your life to Christ, you have a new relationship to sin. When you fall into sin, you don't enjoy it. You don't revel in it. You don't embrace it. You don't find joy in it. It should convict you. You should want to confess it and repent of it because we have a new relationship to sin. Sin has no place in the Christian life. Why? Jesus Christ came to forgive it, and he came to destroy the works of the devil. John talks about us being born again, right? He gives us this new nature so that we will now live for him and not for self. The one who is united to Christ by faith must not sin, but must rather live a holy life. I love what John Piper writes. He says, Christians don't go on sinning without conflict and confession. Christians hate their sin they, they confess their sin, they see their sin, and they fight against their sin. John Owen said they mortify it, they put it to death. So what is an evidence in your life that you now belong to Jesus? John would say that evidence is now your relationship to sin. You don't want to sin. You don't enjoy sinning. When you're confronted with sin, you don't say, so what? God wants me to be happy, I'm going to do whatever I want. No, your relationship to sin has now changed, and it should grieve you. And look what he says. No one who abides in him, verse 6, keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. But he doesn't, he doesn't pull any punches here. He says, listen, if you think you can continue to live a habitual, ongoing life of sin, and you're not going to repent it, John says you have neither seen him nor know him. John would say, look, if you're not going to repent of your sin, you don't know Jesus. 
If you're just going to continue this, the same life that you once had and just thinking Jesus just means you don't have to go to hell, he would say, look, you don't know Jesus. You haven't seen him with eyes of faith, and you don't know him in a saving way. And then look what he says in verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning. He can't continue to live this life of sin. Why? Because he's been born of God. He said God's seed abides in him. Again, much discussion on what in the world that means. Uh, for my studies, I think it's referring to the anointing of the Spirit of God and the Word of God that he has implanted within his children. We can't keep living in sin because we have the Spirit of God who convicts us of our sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The Spirit of God convicting us. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a new relationship to sin? Can your coworkers look at your life and say, man, you live differently than me? You don't, you don't talk the way that I talk. You don't tweet the way that I tweet. Right? You, don't, you don't get angry the way that I get angry. Like There's just something different about you. Again, not that you're perfect, but just the pattern of life that they see day in and day out, your spouse, your children, can they say, there's something different about you. You're not the same person you were before you gave your life to Jesus. You're different. And here's the fourth thing I want you to notice. The child of God is known by righteousness. The children of the devil are known by sin. Verse 6 or verse 7, it'll be there on the screen. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Verse 10 will be on the screen. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Time out. Pause. John is clear. There are only two classes of people in this world. Only two. Either you're a child of God or you're a child of the devil. We live in a, in a world in which we divide people upon many classifications. Right? If you've ever filled out a census or any kind of paperwork when you go to the doctor or whatever it may be, right? they want to know your gender, they want to know your marital status, what your race is, your ethnicity, sometimes they even want to know what your socioeconomic status is, sexual orientation, religion. Right? We divide people upon all of these things, right? So I'm a white, male, a Christian, I'm married, I'm an American. We have all of these categories. But when it comes to Scripture, there are only two. You either belong to God... You belong to the devil. Hear me. There's no third option. I remember in elementary school, you'd have a, a little crush on a girl, right? And you'd write a little note. Anybody ever do this? I hope I'm not the only one. At least I wasn't the only one in my class. I know that. To a girl and be like, do you like me? Circle yes or no. Remember that? Every now and then they'd circle the word or. It's like, that's not an option. It's yes, no, not or. There is no third option here. Church, when it comes to who you belong to, there's no third option. It's you belong to God and you give evidence that you've been born again and you're living for him or you belong to the devil. And just as a Christian lives under the influence of God living in him, so do sinners live under the influence of the devil and allow themselves to be seduced by him. I love what Augustine said. He said, the devil made no man, begat no man, created no man. But whoso imitates the devil becomes a child of the devil as if begotten of him. Here's the question that confronts each and every one of us this morning, and here it is. 
What is the ruling principle of your life? What is ruling your heart in your life right now? Is it sin or is it Jesus? Is it the devil or is it Jesus? What is ruling your heart? And so just a quick summary. This is going to appear on the screen as as we kind of bring this to a close. Just to say to you why it is not possible for us as believers to continue to live in a pattern of sin is simply this. Number one, we sin. We know that. We sin against God. We, we have a sin nature. Sin is lawlessness. We were in rebellion to God. It's who we were. And we really weren't too concerned about it. But then God convicted us. The Spirit of God worked in our hearts. And we came to realize that Jesus appeared to take away the sins that we're committing. How can we continue to commit the same sins over and over when we know Jesus died for those very sins? We also noticed that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. We can't say, well, I'm addicted. I don't have the power to overcome them. Yes, you do, because the Spirit of God lives in you, and God is victorious. We know that we're born again. We know that we have a new nature, and out of that new nature comes new desires. We begin to seek after righteousness, and we begin to seek after holiness, and we want to look more like Jesus. And as we begin to pursue and practice righteousness, this gives evidence to our being children of God. So how does a lost world know that you belong to Jesus? Because they should be able to see in you someone who desires to pursue and practice righteousness. This morning, we are either aligned with the world and the devil, or we are aligned with God the Father. Brothers and sisters, this message is primarily for us, because he's writing to believers here. And the question for us is this, how can we, brothers and sisters in Christ, ignore our sin any longer? How can we this morning continue to excuse and diminish the sin that we know is in our hearts? And how can we enjoy the very thing that Jesus shed his blood to save us from? Look, our worship, man, this morning has been phenomenal. And now it comes to the point where it's like, okay, what what are you going to do? Like every single one of us came in this room this morning and we, we can recognize a sin or a weakness, a propensity in our life to keep committing this same sin over and over and over. And I guess what I'm asking you to do this morning is to be honest about that sin. Be honest. See it for what it is. Rebellion and an affront to God. And then cry out to him, God, for your glory and your honor, save me from it, deliver me from it, forgive me of it. I'm repenting. I'm I'm coming back to you. I want to get right with you, Jesus. I don't want to live in sin any longer. And hear me. For those of you who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, a day's coming. It's a day of reckoning. And what you're going to have to stand before this holy, righteous judge, and he's going to judge you because he's holy and righteous, and he's the one who created you to begin with. And you're going to have to stand there and answer for all of your sins. What are you going to say? tell you the only hope you have is to say I gave my life to Jesus and the blood of Christ covers my sin and if you've never given your life to Jesus that's my prayer for you that is my plea to you is that you will trust in this amazing grace that though you do not deserve it it's the very reason Jesus came to forgive you of your sins and to destroy the works of the devil brothers and sisters we must look different because we are different we're peculiar 
So let us be that peculiar people. This morning, I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. We're not going to sing. I just want you right there where you are just to spend a moment in just silence. Because look, I know the Spirit of God may be working in your heart right now, but as soon as you walk out these doors, right, many distractions will come. And, and Satan maybe is even already distracting you right now. But will you just be honest with the Lord? Maybe there's a, an individual sin you need to confess, but maybe there's a habitual, ongoing sin in your life that you are continuing to wrestle with and continuing to give into. Maybe you don't care about it. Maybe you're broken by it. And would you just confess it to Jesus? Ask him to forgive you of it. Ask him to make you aware of the power that he has provided for you to overcome it. Right where you are, will you just say, God, I want to pursue righteousness. Take a moment where you are and just confess that to the Lord. And then I'll pray for us. God, would you just speak to our hearts in this moment? We pray. Oh God, we want to confess our sins. It could be a sin of commission. It could be a sin of omission. Lord, there could be impure thoughts and desires in our life right now that we need to confess. Lord, we, we maybe have sinned against someone and we owe them an apology and we need to go make that right today. Lord, maybe we're just lukewarm and we're just neglecting the spiritual things that you've given us. Maybe our Bible reading is inconsistent at best. Maybe our prayer life is non-existent. Maybe we've fallen into a pattern of just very inconsistent worship. Maybe, God, we're neglecting to actively share our faith with other people. Maybe we're failing to make disciples. Lord, we so often think about those sins that we commit that are in rebellion to you. But God, the reality is there's some things by our not doing we are sinning as well. And this sin, Lord, can destroy us and eat away at us. And ultimately, eventually, this sin, apart from Jesus, will condemn us to hell. But God, this morning, there is hope. There is forgiveness. There is grace. And there is mercy. And it is available to every single person here or watching online. So, Lord, we just give it to you. We just pray, God, that you would break our heart for what breaks yours. God, make us so uncomfortable in our sin. That which we were doing that we enjoyed, oh God, may you give us a hatred for that sin. A strong dislike for that sin in our life. And Lord, may we be known by our righteousness. So that as people see our good deeds, they may glorify our God, our Father in heaven, so that you might receive the glory. Lord, what a joy it's been to be in your house to worship you today. And Lord, we, we pray uh, you'll just give us a great day of just trusting in you and of walking in you. 
Let me ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of announcements before we dismiss. Tripp is going to come. He has an announcement. Let me just encourage you to look through the bulletin. Uh, one thing I want to emphasize, we have a membership class right after the service. We're going to meet in the fellowship hall. Uh, if you want to have some conversations with some people before you come into class, that's fine. You can give us a few minutes. You can step outside and talk to some people and then come inside and, and we'll, uh, we'll work our way through that. So Tripp has an announcement. When Tripp is done, Ryan is our deacon of the week. So Ryan is going to come and pray for us. that but all through the month of October it's our kind of pastor and staff appreciation month so let's be thinking about that um, a few of the things that we're going to be doing this year you know we're going to be taking up a love offering every Sunday we'll have a separate box set up so if you want to during the month of October and we normally have the one box for your offering for the church we'll have a place for you if you want to put a love offering for our, our pastors and our staff and that goes also to you know not just um, Aaron and BJ Curtis and Ann but you know our office staff we have you know, Kim and Melinda, if you never get to see them, they're kind of behind the scenes. Um, I encourage you to leave some cards out there as well. well. We'll have a place for you to leave cards for encouragement and other ways of appreciation. Also, this morning, I talked to a few of the Sunday school classes you may have seen come out. We're going to offer a time to maybe bring them lunch during the month. You know, if you're not comfortable with bringing them to lunch, maybe bring them gift cards or, or drop a gift card for them to be able to get them something on their own. Uh, we'll do a few more things as the month goes on, but just... October is just around the corner. I want you to be thinking about that as that's coming up. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us this time to gather together in your house today, Lord. Lord, work in each of our hearts that we would truly be seeking after you, that we would be turning to you, that we would be turning away from sin, Lord, that we would be seeking after you with our whole heart and striving to honor you in all that we do, Lord. Lord, work in us this week that you would just guide and direct us in all we do. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.